Welcome to another exciting episode of The Tax Efficient Investor. Listen in as host Michael Johnston demystifies tax-efficient tactics to help you grow your wealth. We break down complex tax strategies and make them simple to understand and easy to implement. From HSAs to IRAs, 1031s, trusts, and more, we cover it all here on The Tax Efficient Investor. Welcome to the show. I'm Michael Johnston. Joining me today is Wallace Tsai. Wallace is the CEO and founder at Above Board Financial. Wallace, thanks for coming on today. Thanks so much for having me. So we're going to talk about insurance today. And I'm guessing anyone listening to this podcast, you've probably sat through at least one sales pitch that included life insurance as a tax-efficient investment vehicle. You've probably heard whole, universal, variable, private placement insurance. So Today, we're going to talk about what those are and, and when they can make sense as part of a tax-efficient investing strategy. And then we're also going to talk about when uh, we're talking about ripoffs, honestly, and, and when some of these are just are just bad ideas and, and don't make sense. Um, so before we do that, though, Wallace, it'd be great if you could give the audience, you've got an interesting background. So so uh, where, where did you, I know you spent some, uh, some time in the, the, the banking industry. Give folks a, a brief idea of how you ended up where you are today. Sure thing. So I started my career in finance at Goldman Sachs in the investment banking division. And then I went to the hedge fund investing group covering financial services companies. And so that meant that I was really studying the inner workings of insurance companies and banks and asset managers and understanding how these businesses make money, how they work and meeting with their C-level executives. So I really understood a lot about how those industries worked. And then when it came time for me or my friends or colleagues to be customers of the industry, I was blown away by just how often I had to rely on my own professional expertise to navigate successfully as a consumer and to advise colleagues and friends who were getting these pitches that you know, sometimes represented good ideas, but so often did not. <laughs> and so I started above board because I wanted to make it easier for people to navigate these important choices. And at Above Board, we chose to focus on insurance, specifically life disability and long-term care insurance, because those types of insurance represent an opportunity to make such great decisions that can be really valuable when those products are used correctly, but they can also be really terrible when used incorrectly. And they're frankly, like often involved in some of the biggest mistakes that people ask us to help them fix. And so that's why I'm so excited about the insurance space. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely needs, um, it's a great way that you, I love the way that you explained it, that it can be such a good idea or it can be such a bad idea. And there's some, you know, just to my perspective, there's some bad actors in the space, um, just to, to call it what it is from my perspective. Okay. Um, there, there's folks who, who sell, whether they don't understand it or they're just chasing commissions. Um, I don't know which one is worse, um, but, but regardless, um, if it ends up for a, a, a bad experience, um, for the customer, then uh, that's one of the you know one of the most frustrating things to me um, is seeing folks get taken advantage of and, and separated from their their hard earned money or, or making making bad decisions. Um, Absolutely, so, and getting yeah. it right is one of the things that really motivates us. Both applying our analytical expertise and rigor to understand the products and get it right, and then having integrity in how we advise people and being transparent. Sometimes it involves telling people that insurance is not the right solution for the yeah. goals of trying to, to achieve. 
Yeah. I think that unfortunately you are probably the exception rather than the rule in this industry, which um, is bad news in general, but good news for me and my audience, because we've got access to a, a great resource today here. So let me dive in here. How do you analyze whether life insurance makes sense for a client and, and particularly as part of a, a tax efficient investment strategy? Sure. So one of the things that we like to look at is what are the client's goals and where would they think about putting their money if it were not into an insurance policy? Mm -hmm. And that helps us start to quantify what is this person's marginal rate of return on their money? And then we want to understand their life situation, what they're trying to achieve. Do they have children, grandchildren? What are their goals? Are they looking for supplemental retirement savings or legacy planning? So once we have an idea of what goals we're trying to navigate towards, and also this person's broader financial picture, we can start to put numbers behind those qualitative aspects of an individual or a family and really evaluate, well, what rate of return would this person likely achieve if they weren't using an insurance vehicle? What would they achieve with an insurance vehicle? What are And then there are also some considerations that are not solely quantified financial returns that we take into account as well. But we do that through an open dialogue with the client where they really understand what the options are, and then they're empowered to make an informed choice. Mm -hmm. So so when you say you think about like where that where that next where that next dollar would go, does that mean considering have they, have they maxed out other tax advantage vehicles or what, what are some of the alternative? You know, you mean, I, I love that framework, by the way, that's what I always encourage people to do is what's the alternative so when you say the alternative to, to putting money in a life insurance policy what are some examples of what those alternatives might be i'm guessing in some cases it just goes into a taxable brokerage account which um not always the best place but what what are some of the other alternatives that you you would analyze yeah absolutely so a taxable brokerage account often is where we would be looking because for a lot of the clients where a permanent life insurance strategy makes sense they are already maxing out a 401k they have at work, or they're already on track with a 529 plan they have for their children. And so the taxable brokerage account is the right place to look for thinking about, well, where else would this person accumulate uh, liquid wealth? Um, occasionally with clients, you want us to consider other things as well. But when you're comparing alternatives, you also want to make sure that you're really trying as best as one can to compare apples to apples and mm. make sure that you're not calibrating different risk levels with returns. You want to factor in both the risk and the reward side of the equation, but taxable brokerage account really is the most common one that we look to. Um, and it, frankly, if somebody's not maxing out their 401k or if they have access to a Roth IRA, then that's often an indication to us, like, hey, maybe we need to have a conversation with that client about if permanent insurance is even the right part of their financial profile right now. Um, hmm. We have a number of ways that we figure out when to tell people that permanent insurance doesn't make sense, at least not right now. Hmm. But I know okay. that for your audience, it tends to be folks who are often in that position where they already max out those tax advantage accounts. Yep. Yep. Okay. So so let's go on then and, and talk about how, how an investor who's interested in um, thinking about life insurance as a, a tax efficient vehicle, um, how do they go figuring out? How do you help them figure out what's the right policy? Shane, so one of the things that we like to look at is what type of exposure they're trying to get in terms of the mm -hmm. asset class in their portfolio. So for example, we have some clients where they already have a ton of equity exposure 
both in the holdings they already have, but also through their professional risk, right? Somebody who is an equity trader or running a hedge fund that focuses on equities is already very like exposed to the equity market. And so sure. when we talk with clients, we try to understand like, what do they have going on already and what aspect of um, their financial life are they looking to build out potentially with an insurance product? And so if somebody already feels like I have a ton of equity exposure in my life, then maybe we look towards something like a whole life range of policies because those are more fixed income like in how they behave. It's um, low, lower um, risk and lower reward versus say like a variable policy where you're really taking equity market risk and you have securities risk the same way that you would in a brokerage account. And so for some people, that's the right call, right? Like if somebody is looking for equity exposure, a variable policy can be a great solution. We want to make sure that we're really advising clients clearly on what it is they're looking at. You know, I think knowing what you own is one of the most important things when thinking about mm. really any financial instrument, but insurance especially. And knowing what you own, how it works, you know, the range of expectations you could reasonably have for it over time. And so once we identify the asset class the client is interested in focusing on, and sometimes the answer is like, hey, I'm not really sure. I'd like to understand these better. I'd like to see some examples of all of the above. And we can certainly accommodate that too. But as we move through the process of the client, we identify like, what is it that we're going for here? And then does insurance offer an attractive solution for this goal that the client has. Yeah. And when we run that analysis that I described before of comparing, say, the insurance policy to a brokerage account and as one data point for how to assess it, it reveals whether or not this is like an exciting opportunity for the client or not, right? Like the answer is sometimes not, but oftentimes we find that it makes sense as part of the broader portfolio. Sure. Sure. So, so let's talk about, um, I want to talk about a kind of a, a specific use case here. Someone who wants to use, um, who's thinking about life insurance as a, a tax efficient wealth transfer vehicle uh, for future generations. So, so, you know, let's assume that they, they're set, they're, they're not worried about, um, about touching this money in their lifetime, but they're interested in, in life insurance as a way to efficiently transfer wealth to, to future generations. Can you talk us through, um, I guess, first of all, explain how that works, why life insurance can be a tax efficient way to transfer wealth to future generations. And then for, for that specific goal, what type of policies in general would, would make the most sense? Sure thing. So in terms of wealth transfer to future generations, life insurance can be a very tax efficient vehicle because the growth of a life insurance policy is free from income tax. And the payout of life insurance is not income taxable either. Now, life insurance, importantly, is subject to a state tax. And at the federal level currently, that number is roughly $26 million per couple. And it's scheduled to get cut in half under current law at January 1st, 2026. So we're helping a lot of clients position their estate planning while it's still possible to take advantage of that much higher state tax exemption at the federal level. Now, that really only applies to folks who either are already above the tax, the exemption that would apply in January 1 of 2026, which is about right. um, 13 million per couple, um, or people who expect to be there in the future. But 
you also want to make sure you consider whether you're not you're in a state that has a state tax as well. Some of the states have a state tax too. And so when you work with a qualified attorney to use a trust to own the life insurance, you can often set up the insurance policy so that it is not only free from income tax, but also sits outside your estate and thus would not be taxable at the state level either. And so when we're working with clients who are really focused on the goal of passing money on to future generations, meaning they don't assign any value to the cash value. And I just want to mention that for some insurance policies, they have both a death benefit, which pays out when the insured or the two insured people die. And then they also, some policies have cash value too, which is value that you can access while you're still alive. Mm-hmm. If you think of it as sort of a broker, if you think of cash value as kind of like a brokerage or a bank account that sits inside an insurance policy, that's not a bad way to start to conceptualize it. Although there are certainly like a lot of, a lot of details that we want to explain to clients about how cash value works. Um, but that's sort of a good place to start and thinking about what it is. And so for clients who only care about passing wealth on to future generations, we're really only focused on that death benefit. And some policies, you can design them to focus like mostly on the death benefit at the expense of cash value. And then other policies offer no to very little cash value, and they're totally focused on the death benefit. So we'll tend to focus on those types of policies when we have a client who says, Look, this money really isn't for me. I'm comfortable saying that this is not stuff I'm going to touch in my own lifetime. Now, another thing that we do want to work in, though, is the underwriting aspect of all this. Because sometimes people come to us and they have a super clean medical record. There's absolutely nothing about them that would cause any insurance company to offer them anything um, less than the best tier of non-smoker pricing. Um, but oftentimes people have some factors, right? Some things have come up during their medical history where not every carrier would view that thing the same way. And so we want to make sure we're focusing on the carrier that's going to give them the best value for their dollar. So even though we start with that sort of general principle of focusing on death benefit-oriented policies and designing the policies to maximize the death benefit value instead of cash value, We'd also consider, well, which insurance carriers in the market are going to give this person or this couple the best deal. And so we do a huge review of all these different options in the market, and then we distill it down to a few finalists that pass the test. And then I think really importantly, we go back to that math of, well, what would this person do if insurance just wasn't an option for them? Hmm. And we compare the returns on the insurance policy with the returns on that other instrument And then we think about, okay, well, what are some other factors we might want to consider that related to insurance versus non-insurance that would either help the client, you know, move closer towards their goal or not. And out of that analysis falls a very clear recommendation about if insurance makes sense and if so, what type is the best path to pursue. Yeah, great, great summary there of kind of thinking about the the death benefit versus cash value and and where you know depending on your circumstances if you're focused on on passing it on or if it's something you're going to uh, use as a kind of supplemental in, in your retirement um can you know push you to one end of the spectrum or the other you also made a really good point wallace about the the state the state tax uh, limits i'll put a link in the show notes the tax foundation has a good summary of of which states have uh state tax limits i live in oregon i think we have the lowest it's it's a million dollars um, which is a much lower hurdle. So a lot more people are going to be, you know, 
whether it's uh, the, the $13 million is still a pretty high hurdle. A lot more people are going to be transferring a um, million dollars or more to future generation. So that's really worth looking into. Um, if your state is one that, that has the, the estate tax at a state level, um, there's some that have inheritance taxes as well. Um, it's worth kind of getting into the weeds there and, and figuring it out because if you live in, in Oregon or neighbors to the North, Washington have a little bit higher, I think it's 2.2 million or so. Um, Minnesota has about a, a 3 million threshold and there's a handful of others. So, um, that can make a big difference because it's a state tax, mm -hmm. you, you know, get into the, you know, 10 to 16 to 18% range generally. Um, but, but worth thinking through what that means for insurance. And then Wallace mentioned the idea of, of having a, a trust hold the insurance too. Um, as, as a way to keep it outside of your estate. So um, a little side note there, um, gets pretty technical and, and pretty hairy, but but worth looking into. Uh, I think Wallace made a, a great point. I think you work with clients in, in a lot of states. So that's something that, that definitely goes into that um, calculation, I'm guessing. Absolutely. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Um, well, well, let's talk about... Um, Let's talk about the mistakes you see, the the bad things you see people do, um, whether it's again um, out of out of ignorance or out of chasing fees, or um, you know, talk about the the bad the bad side of this. What um, things that mistakes you see people make, or that they would have made if they weren't working with you, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. So that's a there, there are a lot of potential answers to that question. <laughs> so unfortunately, with the things that we uh, yeah, unfortunately, so I'll start with um what I think are probably like the, the most common themes that come up. Um, so one is like people who don't really know what they own. And, mm. you know, it's not easy, right? These in, illustrations are helpful, but there's oftentimes like a level of um, experience one needs to really read them effectively. And so we certainly have seen a lot of folks who got policies elsewhere that have been really disappointed by how their policy performed over time. So for example, they might have an indexed universal life policy that they got, and they remember when they bought it that they thought that they could get up to 12% if the S&P did well. And then they see that the S&P has been doing well and they've been watching their policy wondering like, why isn't my policy doing well? And then you know, we help them understand that actually some of those policies, most of those policies have mechanisms where the carrier can choose to lower the ceiling on the return you can get. And so they're totally correct that when they bought the policy, the, the limit was 12%, meaning if the S&P was up, you know, 12% or more, they would get capped out at 12. But if the S&P was up 10%, they would get the full 10. Um, and then the, they realized, oh, wow, in the seven years I've had this policy, the carrier lowered the cap to seven. Hmm. And so now I'm not getting what I thought it was. You know, the, I saw the S&P was up double digits. Like, why didn't I get low double digits? And it's like, well, the cap has been lowered to seven. And other times it's things like the carrier has changed the fees on the policy. And so it's eroding the returns. And all these moving parts are things that are definitely knowable in advance um, to the point that you raised earlier about, well, was the person selling it to them either like unaware or just nefarious in their intent? Right? And to some degree, like you, know, you never really know for sure. Um, but one of the things that we take a lot of pride in and above board is we're maniacally focused on the details and getting the analytics right. And so if we really know how these things work and we want our clients to know too, and we we're happy to answer questions until people feel like they really understand and understand like why we're excited about the things that we recommend too. Um, and we also explain the risks and rewards. And so I think that knowing what you own 
is one of the most important things and not knowing what you own is also one of the biggest mistakes we see. Um, I think another common mistake that we see is not using the best tool for the job. Hmm. And this kind of comes from not knowing what you own, but oftentimes we see folks who have either previously bought or are being pitched something that has some interesting attributes to it. It's not all bad, but unfortunately, it's really just not the best tool for the job. And the reason they got that pitch was because the person selling it to them was paid a lot more to sell them that one thing than to look broadly across the market and figure out like, well, what, what's really the best thing available for this particular individual or couple and the goal they have that they're trying to achieve with insurance. And so being under-optimized is a common thing that we see as well. Um, Third, a, a very common mistake we see being made is missizing the insurance or incorrectly sizing the insurance relative to the broader portfolio. And I mentioned that because insurance can be a great component of your overall financial picture. But sometimes we'll see these quotes that folks got elsewhere where, for example, they're being pitched putting $100,000 a year into a policy for 20 years. And when we talk with them about their total portfolio and their split of equities versus bonds and how they see that evolving you know, into the future, we run our analysis and it's like, okay, well, yes, this couple is at a place in life where whole life insurance could be a great part of their portfolio, but the right number for them is probably more in the range of like 30 to 40,000 a year. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's just one example, but oftentimes that desire to sell as much as the person thinks they can sell to the prospective client results in these quotes that really don't make sense in the context of somebody's bigger picture. And we're really laser focused on only selling insurance in situations where the client is informed and it's going to be a long-term sustainable situation that the client looks back on with pride. Right. And you want to feel good about the choices you make and like we're fully aligned and wanting that for our clients too. Um, yeah. And I guess the last thing I would mention is waiting too long to take action or giving mm-hmm. up on the space because you've had a bad experience before. I mean, I've certainly sat through some unpleasant insurance meetings myself you know, before I started above board. It was part of why I started above board. Um, and you know, I think sometimes people just get soured to the whole space because they've either had a bad experience themselves or had a friend who had a really bad experience. And it can also just be easy to put on the back burner, right? Like life is busy getting your estate planning figured out, getting your financial planning and retirement savings figured out is rarely something that feels like a hair on fire, like got to do it this weekend for sure type of problem. And so what can happen is that people who could have gotten a really great deal wait a few years and then a couple health matters later, you know, may, maybe it was severe enough that they're no longer insurable. But the more common scenario is that it's just like, oh man, like their rates are double. Um, yeah, so we, we want to try and like help people figure something out while they still have a number of good options available to them. Um, and so I think waiting too long or backing away from the entire industry is probably like the, the final mistake that I would mention because there's a lot of good that can be done with the products when they're used intelligently and ethically. Um, so we would encourage people to reach out and try to understand like what that would be for them. 
Yeah, I, I love that. I love all that advice, Wallace. I love the, the last piece in particular. It's a, a piece of advice that I give with with tax efficient investing in general. Um, you know, you wait too long, um, that that ship sails and it, it sails forever, right? Like if if you miss contributing to your Roth IRA in 2019, like that, that ship has sailed. Um, mm -hmm. There's nothing you can do about it. Not quite the same, you know, annual perishable um, idea here, but. The underlying concept is similar that, you know, do it, do it now. Um, the best time to do it is now. Um, you don't know what the future holds. And, you know, if, if it's a, uh, um, you're, you're not going to regret, I think you're not going to regret taking action. Um, right. I also appreciate what, how you kind of open that. Your, your first answer is talking about the reasons that, you know, let's be honest, a lot of people hear insurance and there's a negative connotation associated with it. And it's for the reasons that you mentioned. There's these, these hidden fees that, that add up. And there's these little uh, gimmicks or gotchas where um, if you're not reading the fine print, if you're not working with someone who I think you use the word maniacal, um, which I like about the the attention to detail, um, <laughs> there can be all these little gotchas that, you know, lower, great example you use there, lowering the ceiling from from 12% to 7%. That's exactly why people have such, you know, the, the insurance industry um, in, in a lot of folks' mind um, has a bad reputation. Um, it's been earned. Um, in a lot of cases. So um, point there, um, the points all around there, Wallace. Um, well, well, let me close by by asking you this. Where, where can folks go? Um, they like what they've heard from you. Where can they go to learn to learn more about you and how you work with, with high net worth clients? Okay. So they're always welcome to visit us at aboveboardfinancial.com. That's our website. And they can also always feel free to drop us a note at hello at aboveboardfinancial.com. And I'll mention that on our website, you'll also see some online quoting and term insurance coverage. And part of why we're set up that way to be able to delightfully and um, ethically and sustainably help clients who are seeking either a complex solution that's appropriate for a high net worth person, or just even like a young person who's getting started yeah. building out their family, starting their job to get some quick term in place is because we want to be aligned with our clients in giving them ethical advice. We want to be efficient, delightful, get it right, help them complete their insurance that moves them closer to their goals, and then move forward and hopefully, you know, get the call from them as they evolve through different life phases and need different products or need more insurance. And we want to be able to serve a range of people. So when you come to aboveboardfinancial.com, um, you'll see resources available for like a pretty broad spectrum of individuals. And that is by design. Um, you know, my co-founder is a software developer and we want to be efficient and able to service clients wherever they are in life. Um, and one quick point on that matter, just about taking action early. Um, term insurance can actually be a great tool, even for affluent and high net worth individuals who just want to keep options open for later. Mm -hmm. you know, we have some clients where permanent insurance is absolutely already in place for them as part of a very sophisticated estate planning strategy because they already have a federal taxable estate. But then they might also have some term insurance alongside that because some of these folks are, say, like entrepreneurs and they've sold businesses before and they're working on a new business now. And depending on the range of outcomes they could realize, they might need a bunch more insurance to stay on track with their estate plan. Or maybe not, right? Like all these entrepreneurial endeavors come with risk and reward. Um, and so term insurance can actually be like a really smart strategy for maintaining optionality, even if you are in a situation where permanent insurance also makes sense. 
instead of aboveboardfinancial.com, we really want to meet people where they are and then be their trustworthy and reliable insurance advisor throughout their lives and throughout their careers. Wonderful. I love that. Um, well, well, thanks for coming on, Wallace. Just in kind of closing here, I, I love the way that you frame this as, as insurance can be something that can be a really effective tool in a tax-efficient portfolio if you do it right. And, and if you don't, um, it can it can be uh, a weight around your neck that that drags down returns and ends up being um, being a mistake. So, um, you know, things that uh, there's a, a quote that you know whatever's worth doing is is worth doing well. So, um, this is a, a great example of that of worth getting into the details figuring out what makes sense for your situation, avoiding those those fee traps and those other gimmicks and gotchas. Um, and if it makes sense, uh, it can be a powerful tool. Um, so Wallace, I wanna thank you for coming on. You've been a, a great resource. We'll make sure that all those links Wallace mentioned are in the show notes. Go check those out. You can reach out to her and they've got a great website with some great information. So Wallace, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. This has been great. That's it for today's show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify to help spread the word to other investors. And we'll be back soon with another episode.